transmitting live from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series examining how President Donald J. Trump and his administration are changing the world we live in. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. 20 times you have called for, I will shut down the government if I don't get my wool. None of us have you said You want to know something? You've said okay, it. Okay, you want to put that you on my... you said it. I'll take it. Okay, okay, good. You know what I'll say? Yes. If we don't get what we want, one way or the other, whether it's through you, through a military, through anything you want to call, I will shut down the government. Okay, absolutely. Fair and we I am disagree. proud, and I'll we tell you disagree. what, I am proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck, because the people of this country don't want criminals and people that have lots of problems and drugs pouring into our country. So I will take the mantle. I will be the one to shut it down. I'm not going to blame you for it. The last time you shut it down, it didn't work. I will take the mantle of shutting down. That was President Trump in a contentious on-camera Oval Office meeting with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York and House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi of California on December 11th with Schumer speaking first, footage courtesy of the Associated Press. Ten days later, the president stated at a White House press conference that it was, quote, totally up to the Democrats to prevent a government shutdown. The shutdown started the next day. Hello and welcome to the first Trump watch of 2019. While many of us were enjoying the rest and relaxation that comes with time off for the holidays, one large section of the U.S. population had their own plans disrupted when President Trump, reportedly under pressure from the House Freedom Caucus, rejected a last-minute compromise in the Senate because it did not include $5 billion for a border wall. Joining us live to help explain both the politics behind the shutdown and exactly what it means that the federal government is effectively closed for business, at least for the immediate future, is Gabby Orr, White House reporter for Politico and co-author of the December 31st article, Inside the Pence-Schumer Showdown. Hello, Gabby. Welcome to Trump Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. There's a bit of breaking news about the shutdown. Perhaps that's the best place to start. According to The New York Times, President Trump is hosting Republican and Democratic uh, congressional leaders for a border security briefing in the White House situation room tonight, perhaps even as we speak. Are there any signs that a compromise is getting closer? Unfortunately, there's no sign that a compromise is any closer than it was yesterday or the day before that. Um, In fact, during the cabinet meeting today, President Trump stated that he is still very much determined to get that $5.6 billion figure in wall funding, which actually contradicts what his own vice president said in a meeting with Chuck Schumer last weekend. Um, President Trump dispatched Mike Pence to Capitol Hill to meet with Chuck Schumer to see if there was any room for a deal to be made, during which the vice president offered to come down to at least. $2.5 $2.5 billion. So to see the president go back up to that $5.6 billion figure today, I, mean, I know this is a lot of numbers, but bear with me. <laughs> um, it, it was, you know, pretty, pretty stunning and certainly an indication that we're nowhere near um, an agreement on this. Exactly. I mean, to break it down, basically, Pence had gone halfway, right? 2.5, roughly half of the $5 Correct. billion. And this is something you outlined very effectively in your Politico article from Monday inside the Pence-Schumer showdown. 
In that same article, you describe how Vice President Pence was sent in to negotiate with Senator Schumer on behalf of the president, but that the talk stalled when the Senate minority leader simply didn't believe that Pence had the authority to negotiate on behalf of the president. How is Trump's apparent unwillingness to accept deals made on his behalf, even by his closest advisors, affecting this process? Well, I think, you know, again, you saw it play out today. Um, Senator Schumer had indicated during that meeting with Pence that he didn't truly um, believe that the president was backing that offer to, to fund the government um, with as long as the bill would include $2.5 billion for border security. Um, it turns out today he was he was proven right. His instincts were correct. The president said that he doesn't want $2.5 billion. He wants that full $5.6 billion figure um, in order to fund the government. And, and you know, this is this is just part of a trend that we've seen in this administration almost from the get-go, where the president will say one thing, uh, Republicans will get in line with him, Democrats will even come to the negotiating table, and then, you know, a day later, sometimes even less than 24 hours later, the president totally reverses um, or backtracks on the initial offer that he made. And keep in mind, this is a president who, you know, penned the, the infamous book, The Art of the Deal, um, has said that he is the penultimate deal maker in uh, in office, and yet it's it's hard as a, as a White House reporter to to look back and think of really any bi- major bipartisan deal that has been struck um, during his first two years in office. Is there another president, at least in recent history, that has relied so much on personal deal making? I personally can't think of another. No, you know, I, I look back to um, Reagan and, and Tip O'Neill, um, I think would be perhaps the best example. But um, even even if you look back at President Obama and, and Vice President Biden, I mean, they had a better relationship sometimes with Mitch McConnell than Vice President Pence has with the Senate Minority, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. Um, so they were able to get some things done, you know, very little, but there were some negotiations um, that panned out under the Obama administration because they had this relationship with McConnell that we haven't really seen between Pence and Schumer and certainly not with Trump and Schumer. Um, people sort of expected that they might get along. They both have you know, a similar background, um, Trump and Schumer both being from New York, sort of being these fast talkers. Um, and yet we, we haven't really seen that. In fact, I think during that pretty stunning Oval Office sit-down um, about two weeks ago now with, with the president, vice president, uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, we really saw President Trump's relationship with the Senate minority leader totally disintegrate before our eyes. The Senate and the House currently have Republican majorities, at least until Thursday when the newly elected members are sworn into the House of Representatives. And the president is on the record, as we heard at the top of this broadcast, telling Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer that he will proudly take responsibility for a government shutdown. Do you understand Trump's logic here that it's the Democrats' fault that the government is shut down? Yes. If you talk to enough White House officials, it becomes clear that they are um, very adamant that this is the fault of Democrats who don't either support border security or simply oppose Trump to the point that they don't want to give him anything that he could claim as a win. Um, they, they say this is all politics. Um, of course, he had, you know, as you mentioned at the top of this show, he's having 
Democratic and Republican congressional leaders to the White House today to participate in a border security briefing, which will likely sort of become his cover um, heading out of today into tomorrow for him to be able to say, look, I brought in, you know, these experts on homeland security and border security. We briefed the Democrats. We explained all of the things that are wrong with our border, and yet they still don't want to come to the table. Um, I can imagine that that's probably what we're going to see in tomorrow's morning tweets from the president. Um, That being said, you know, Democrats are planning to put something forward tomorrow. Nancy Pelosi has said that the minute she steps in um, as the presumptive House Speaker, uh, when the new Democratic majority is seated, that she plans to introduce a clean um, continuing resolution that would fund the government through September and keep the current funding levels for the Homeland Security at their um, at their current level. What is President Trump hoping to achieve here by refusing to compromise on the what he's now saying is $5.6 billion required for his border wall? Is this just an appeal to his core base of supporters or something more, obviously, the wall was a big part of his presidential campaign. Yeah, well, more broadly, he's obviously gearing up for a pretty tough re-election battle. And the promise to build a border wall and have Mexico pay for it is really imperative to him getting re-elected um, in, in 2020. I mean, this is sort of like the George H.W. Bush uh, read my lips situation. No it, new taxes, he, yes. Right, right. If he fails to deliver one of these core campaign promises that he made that his base got so excited about um, during the 2016 election and many, you know, attracted many people to vote for him who probably normally wouldn't have voted for Republicans, um, it it could be catastrophic for him in, in 2020 if he fails in that promise. And I think that's why we're not only hearing him push for this funding for the border wall and some type of barrier um, but also claiming, sometimes factually inaccurately, that uh, Mexico is somehow paying for the wall through the trade deal that he's reached with Mexico and Canada. And there seems to be some contention about this agreement. You were talking about a different agreement, I believe. But speaking of agreements with Mexico, this recent agreement uh, on border security, that this was more of an ultimatum. Do you, I realize this isn't a white, it isn't directly uh, happening in Washington, but is this something that you, that you know about, which which it is? I, I'm sorry, can, can you uh, repeat this that? Is the, this is the recent deal with, with the Trump administration in Mexico over border security, over basically keeping uh, people at the border in Mexico until uh, we we are able to uh, vet them. And and, and uh, there's been some different reporting about it, whether it's been uh, a deal that's been reached with the Mexican government or if we have simply made an ultimatum with the Mexican government. But if it isn't, if it's outside of your beat, I can simply move on. No, no, the, the, the remain in Mexico policy, I think, is what you're referring yes. to. Yes. Um, the White House has been in talks with Mexico for several weeks now to try and iron out an agreement of some form. Um, We know that the Trump administration initially offered to send um, additional resources to Mexico to help them um, deal with the influx of of Central American migrants that would be uh, basically kept in Mexico until they're able to have their hearing for asylum in in the U.S., Um, 
I don't know currently the status of what that deal is. I don't know if it's been signed off on by the new uh, Mexican president. I know that it's something that he was at least open to. His uh, foreign minister had said so early on in the deal-making process. Um, but it, it would have you know, significant ramifications for um, how we currently deal with asylum seekers and asylum claims. And it's something that's already being looked at by a number of um, legal critics of this administration. On December 31st, the American Federation of Government Employees, the largest federal employee union, according to the Washington Post, filed a lawsuit on behalf of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, uh, a a couple of workers from the Federal Bureau of Prisons, in short, for being forced to work a dangerous job without pay while the prison is understaffed because of the uh, essential staff-only rule of the shutdown. Can you discuss some of the ways that the federal shutdown can affect the prison system? Of course. I mean, these are a number of their prison guards, their wardens, people who are working um, within our federal prison system who are going without pay but still need to show up to do their job because it's imperative for, for security reasons. And it's not just impacting the prison system. I mean, this is all over. It's, it's important to keep in mind that there are um, roughly 800,000 employees right now of the federal government who are furloughed and either um, not receiving paychecks or having their pay delayed because of this shutdown. So it is impacting the prison system. It's also having a tremendous impact on our national parks. Um, I was talking to some folks today out in Yosemite who have been volunteering over the past weeks to just go out and clean up trash because um, there's nobody there to do it. Nobody's getting paid to do it. Um, the park rangers have been furloughed, and so they you know, wanted to take things into their own hands. Um, there are TSA agents at our airports who have been furloughed. There are government, government contractors um, who, you know, dual-income families, both of which the husband and wife have been um, furloughed and have basically zero income coming in right now, and a family to support and college tuition payments to make and mortgages to pay. Um, this shutdown has far-reaching impacts, and I think that's something that, you know, being inside the Beltway, we often overlook, but it is really important to to keep mentioning as this continues. I'm speaking with Gabby Orr, White House reporter for Politico. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. Gabby, to stay with the broader idea of the federal shutdown, I want to do a little, just a bit of an explainer for listeners who may be lost about what exactly a government shutdown is and what it means for them. Uh, let's just take a minute to focus on what it means. Uh, we often hear that the essential government services are the only ones that will remain active during a government shutdown. Uh, so how is this decision on which services are essential made? Uh, well, each agency has longstanding processes in place to determine um, which which employees are considered essential, which are vital to the agency's operation. Um, and which can essentially be cut loose for the time being until the shutdown is ended and, and each you know agency is funded. Right now, 75% of the federal government has received its funding. Um, 25% has not. That's the 25% that is shut down. That's why we've been calling this a partial shutdown, not a full shutdown. And there are you know dozens and dozens of employees within the agencies that have been shut down 
um, including the Homeland Security Department, the Department and the Department of Agriculture, who are not receiving pay, are not being asked to show up to work Monday through Friday, um, and sometimes are in charge of programs that you know have a significant impact on Americans across the country. Um, there was a report out today from the Department of Agriculture that indicated that um, almost the entire staff that oversees the SNAP food program, formerly known as food stamps, um, is has been deemed non-essential. So they're not there working um, to make sure that these benefits that are provided to low-income families, low-income individuals, are actually being delivered. Um, right now, it looks like they will continue to have funding through February, but if this shutdown goes beyond that, that could become a huge issue. The BBC reported that this so-called partial shutdown means that roughly 25% of the federal government has no funding. Other than national parks and federally run museums like the Smithsonian being closed, what are some of the other major ways that shutdowns could affect, that the shutdown could affect uh, Americans outside of the government, particularly if it continues? Well, you know, as you mentioned, there are um, national parks, there are monuments across the U.S. that are um, run by the federal government. There are tons and tons of tourist destinations, the airports that people are traveling through. I mean, there are so many municipal airports that probably only have, you know, a half dozen TSA agents on staff to begin with, um, half of which might be furloughed during the shutdown. So you can probably expect longer security lines at airports. Um, you know, delays in flight operations if this continues, not to mention just all of the tourist spots that have been visited, not only by Americans, but people who are coming into our country um, and helping stimulate the economy that currently are not able to visit most of these places because they're shut down. This appears to be on track to become the first shutdown uh, I believe, in U.S. history to stretch across two different congressional terms. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the longest government shutdown, as you probably know, was back uh, between 95 and 96, the 21-day shutdown during President Clinton's term. Uh, do you have any sense of whether this shutdown could break that record, and if so, what that means for the state of our democracy? I think the next 24 to 48 hours will really give us an indication of whether or not this is going to break that record um, and go well into February. Uh, you know, the president hosted Democrats today at the White House. He has asked them to return tomorrow. That probably means that they're either discussing a preliminary deal of some kind um, or, as we as we heard from, from Chuck uh, Schumer and Nancy Pelosi earlier today, they're nowhere near a deal because Democrats um, aren't willing to play ball with this this figure that President Trump has put out in wall funding, and President Trump isn't willing to come down from that figure. Um, it's it's so hard to predict how long this is going to last. I will say that it seems like both sides are extremely dug in. Um, the president doesn't seem to be budging at all on this demand for funding for border security. Whether he becomes open to um, funding for different kinds of border security, so if he backs away from the demand for a wall but is open to some type of spending package that includes funding for, let's say, all-weather roads along the border and enhanced technology and more um, uh, immigration and customs enforcement agents, 
that might be something that happens, but really it's, it's so hard to tell um, given how, how dug in both sides are right now. In an interview on the Brian Lehrer Show on WMYC here in New York, Congressman Gerald Nadler talked about how funding for fencing was acceptable to him, uh, a wall not being acceptable. While the president has changed his rhetoric in recent days from uh, asking for or calling for a big, beautiful wall to now a fence or whatever the Democrats want to call it, are these types of verbal gymnastics possibly the way that Democrats and Republicans finally find agreement on this issue? I think President Trump is trying to show some flexibility to the extent that he can without upsetting his base. Um, So we have heard him, as you said, talk about a fence. Um, He's talked about steel flats over the past few days. But he's saying that these are all um, ideas that have been brought to him by Homeland Security officials who are asking for a border wall design of some kind to be to, to look like that, um, instead of saying that this is his idea, that he's willing to back down from this, you know, 40, 50-foot concrete structure that he so often talks about on the campaign trail. Um, whether or not it's, it's an indication that his this White House is any closer to cutting a deal, I don't think it is. I mean, he's always talked about um, different types of barriers along the border, and it doesn't the fact that he still wants a physical barrier of some kind, which is the core problem that Democrats um, oppose. They, they don't want that. They want other types of border security. They're willing to support other types of border security. Um, but a barrier, something that would, you know, some structure that needs to be constructed that costs all this money that would probably be funded by American taxpayers that's something that they're not okay with. Is it just a, a money issue, or is there some symbolism, do you think, behind it as well? Well, I think, you know, Democrats realize that if if the president got this win, um, if he got a border wall, which is probably the biggest promise that he made during his campaign, um, that it would really help him in 2020. Um, it, you know, this is something the White House has said, and I do think it's a valid point, I don't think that Democrats oppose this primarily for political reasons, but there is something to say about the fact that, you know, they don't want to let the president have this, um, and that might be contributing to how how strong their opposition is. There's an old adage in politics that no one wins in a government shutdown. Is that the case here? And if not, who do you see as the possible winners and losers from this government shutdown? Well, I think, I think we're going to have to let this play out before we can determine who the uh, winners and losers are. Um, right now, it does seem like this is just based on public opinion polling, um, not going as the president hoped it would. Uh, I saw a poll yesterday out of Gallup that showed that um, 37% of Americans think that this is, or I'm sorry, 47% of Americans think that this is uh, totally to blame on Trump, that he um, as he said, would own the shutdown and that he is at fault. Um, so, so you know, similar to the last time that the government shut down under the Trump presidency when um, public opinion polling sort of favored Republicans and thought that they were on the right side of the shutdown, it's totally reversed this time around. And I think the president is in peril and, and his um, it, it's, you know, day by day hurting his chances at reelection. The longer this continues, the longer federal workers go without pay, 
And the more Democrats can say and repeat that soundbite that you played at the top of your show where he's saying, you know, I would be proud to shut down the government. I would own this. Um, I would take up the mantle of doing so. And is that what you think that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are betting on? Uh, does that decrease the odds of Democrats coming the, to the table, the, the kind of polling numbers that you just cited? You know, I, I think that they're certainly taking the politics of this into account. But I think just as much as um, the White House and, and congressional Republicans like Mitch McConnell want this to end, um, so do they. And so... You know, they might see this as as hurting the president the longer it goes on, but that doesn't mean that they're not um, necessarily willing to negotiate. And I think if if that was the case, they wouldn't have gone to the White House today and they wouldn't be going back to the White House tomorrow to sit down with the president and talk this thing out. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've been speaking with Gabby Orr, White House reporter for Politico and co-author of the December 31st article, Inside the Pence-Schumer Showdown. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. And that's it for this week's show. Reggie Johnson engineered this program live. You can hear all 99 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter And join us again next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down a different aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. (laughs) 